all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're going to be taking your calls during the hour about any kind of healthcare issues uh, that you might have. It could be new medications, could be a question about something that's been bothering you on your body somewhere or a certain symptom, anything related to your health care or the health care of someone in your family or someone that you love, you can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 If you're not able to call this morning, we would uh, love for you to send us an email. We do review those from time to time and try to get back with you individually as promptly as we can, but we also save those, and the ones that we feel like uh, would be applicable to a larger part of our audience, we do share those from time to time, either on the air live, or if we're not able to be live uh, with the compilation of those. So you can send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. Also check out our website, mpbonline.org, for previous programs. We know a lot of times, uh, just because of work schedules and things that are going on in your busy life, that uh, we do appreciate when you tune in, but you may only catch a part of a program or a part of a discussion, and you want to go back and listen to that. You can check that out at MPB Online. Just search for Southern Remedy, and uh, we do post those about 24 to 48 hours after the show airs. So check that out for previous programs, um, and uh, and we would love to hear from you this morning. Hope everybody is staying warm this morning, a little bit more chilly Uh Seems like it's part of that Mississippi cold. You know, it's really not that cold out there, but the humidity and just our conditions that we have here in the south with an overcast day just makes it feel a little bit more bone-chilling to me. I don't know if that's your um, the way you feel. I believe we have one caller who's been patiently waiting who called in early. I do encourage you to call in early. We have much more time on the first part of the hour to get to your questions. Don't always have that time later in the hour. I believe we have Bo from Tennessee who is on the line. Good morning, Bo. Yes, I am calling about my fingernails. I've never, never had this trouble before till now. They are just peeling. I can take the tip end of a sharp knife and just lift the fingernail up, and they'll peel back so far, and they are in the quick. I've tried the hair, skin, and nails. I've tried the zinc. I've tried the magnesium. So now what else? Yeah, fingernails can be sort of a window to other progr- uh, other problems that are going on. Let me ask you one question before we jump into it. Are they discolored? No. Okay. And and they're pretty much brittle throughout the whole nail from the, the part that's up nearer to your body all the way out? Yes. Okay. And it's more than one fingernail? It's all of them? It's all of them. 
Yeah. There's, there's a couple of vitamin deficiencies that sometimes lead to that, but there can also be systemic things going on in the body that's not necessarily that has to do with the nails themselves, but it might be something else going on. So things like thyroid disorders or other conditions, uh, liver conditions, uh, metabolic conditions can sometimes lead to problems like that. Um, I did mention, you know, some of the deficiencies that you mentioned trying biotin is another one that you might, if you haven't tried already. And a lot of those combinations do have uh, biotin in it. That's something that can sort of harden the fingernails, but it sounds like there is a problem with the matrix, which is the sit, the, the skin cells that actually make your fingernails. And that's further up. They don't, uh, you know, they grow out from your finger from proximal to distal. So the, that that's being affected by something, but uh, there's other things like spoon nails, uh, for instance, or koinonychia is the Greek term that we use to describe that, and that can be a number of conditions. But one of them that's very common is iron deficiency anemia. So I, I would suggest if you haven't seen your physician already, you may want to see them, or if you want to see a dermatologist, um, you know we sort of forget that they specialize in nails too. That's part of the skin. Uh, one of the skin appendages along with hair. Um, so I would, I would talk to your regular doctor, see if they can run some blood tests and maybe do a little bit of uh, detective work on what's going on. And if that gets sort of stumped, the dermatologist would be who I would look at for ne uh, next to see you. And you said the biotin? Yeah, you might want to try biotin and you can get that over the counter. Um, it's, you know, at any kind of pharmacy or health, health food store, it doesn't really matter which type you get. Um, but you certainly could try that. Now, keep in mind, the nails only grow about one to two millimeters per day. So it's going to take a while for any kind of changes to be seen. And you would notice them not at the tip, but at the uh, up near the closer to your body. And how would you spell that? S uh, spell that? Yeah. Yeah. Biotin is spelled B-I-O-T-I-N. B I O T I N. Yes, ma'am. Mm, all right, all right. I, you know, just like I've said, I've tried everything, and I've even talked to my doctor. And, you know, he really didn't know. You know, well, actually, he didn't give me an answer. He just really didn't know. Yeah, and and if this doesn't work, I would ask to see a dermatologist because they're probably going to know exactly what's going on or can do some further testing to find out. All right, Dan. All right, thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. All right, I believe we have, uh, Kevin, you told me, but I forgot there. It's uh, Anna from Oxford. Anna from Oxford. Good morning, Anna. Uh, good morning. Um, I've got back problems, which leads to a numbness in my leg. And uh, many years ago, um, I had a similar situation, found out it was the sacroiliac joint. Uh, back in 2013, 2014, um, I had the similar situation, and in fact, I was in so much pain that I went to the emergency, and um, they shot me with, I thought, think it was morphine, but I, I have no idea, and then um, I went into therapy, and it got better. Um, now, I've got a similar situation. Um, off and on, I've had this, and... It really prevents me from sleeping at night. Um, I actually lit literally hang my foot, my leg out of the uh, the bed, and um, so again I, I went went to the orthopod and um, I had another MRI, 
And it turned out I have a, a, brunt, a, brand, a bone spur, which is pressing on a nerve. Okay, so I know that's, that's there. And, and I, he said, what do you want to do? And I tried the therapy, but that obviously, if you've got a bone spur, you've got a bone spur. The therapy's not going to work. And um, so now my uh, GP recommended that I uh, see a neurosurgeon. And it apparently is a Band-Aid um, operation, and they just shave off the bone spur. So uh, this has been going on now since October, and I still haven't got to see the bone surgeon. <laughs> uh, first of all, um, they wanted me to see the nurse practitioner to get an evaluation. Well, we know what it is because I've got a bone spur. So um, my orthopod sent the uh, information over, and um, there was a suggestion that I take um, the shots for the, um, I guess, the pain. But isn't that just kicking the can down the road, so to speak? I mean, if you don't get rid of the bone spur, you're still going to have the problem. And um, yeah. and now I would really like to see the, um, the the neurosurgeon, but they just don't seem to get back to me. And when I've talked to the receptionist, and she's rather snippy, so I'm uh, I'm getting to the point where I'm getting kind of frustrated, and um, I don't know what to do about it. I mean, I think yeah, they probably I, think I'm, I'm, I'm a troublemaker or something, but what the heck? Oh, no. No, back pain is, is it's real, it's very common, and it can be caused by a number of things. And it sounds like you've already sort of done the stepwise process that we would normally recommend. It may seem, it is it, for patients, it's incredibly frustrating sometimes because it seems like you're getting drug along and why are we doing other things, um, you know, and, and just not going straight towards surgery if it's a bone spur. Well, the reason is... Bone spurs are very common, and as we get older, you can have a bone spur right up next to a nerve and not have any symptoms whatsoever. So just because it's there on the scan doesn't mean that you jump to surgery necessarily, and other things can help you if you're symptomatic with it. Now, in your case, it sounds like it hasn't. You've done all the right things. Physical therapy can work in, in some instances just because it strengthens and takes a lot of the pressure off the nerves. Uh, off the uh, off the bones that are mm -hmm. pressing there, and it can actually sort of delay the progression of bone spurs, um, just because you have better better core muscles to help support that. Um, once you get to the point where you're looking at surgery, a lot of surgeons will want you to go ahead and exhaust other options. The injections, it's probably lidocaine or something like lidocaine that they're injecting in there. It's probably not not morphine to the spot. But basically, they sort of map that out and do injections. For some people, that works. Um, but then you get to surgery, uh, and that is you, you need to, to find somebody. It sounds like you already have somebody identified. Yes, it's either a neurosurgeon or sometimes an orthopedic surgeon. Some, some orthopedic surgeons will um, specialize in that, too. Um, to, you know, like you said, shave that off. A Band-Aid surgery, for those of you who aren't sort of familiar with that is a minimally invasive surgery so it's a small incision the outcomes are pretty good with that um, at five years though if you look at people who have chronic back pain even for things like you have at five years the ones who did the conservative non-surgical therapies have about the same outcomes as those who got the surgery with the exception of those who had motor dysfunction in other words if the nerves nerve is being pushed on by the bone spur enough that you can't move your foot or you have muscle weakness, not just pain, but weakness in your foot. 
those patients need to probably go ahead and move on towards surgery. So, and every surgeon's a little bit different in what they want. They, of course, go by guidelines, but some of them are a little bit more cautious about that. Even for minimally invasive surgery, there may be some complications. I think you're going in the right direction. Um, well, you know, it just may of, take some time. One of the things is it, it's the back hurts, but not as much um, except at nighttime. And uh, yeah. it's, it's the sleeping. I mean, I'm, I'm losing sleep. I'm losing weight. <laughs> I've lost 10 pounds over this last year. So, I mean, it's uh, not something I'm trying because I do cook with butter. Uh, but on the other hand, um, back in 2013, when I had the situation, um, it did get better. And um, then just recently, I decided, like, beginning of this year, I, I went back again. Um, but, you know, I exercise and, and I go jogging and, and do all those right things. Um, and it, it basically, I, I'd say I don't have the pain in the leg. Okay, it's not pain, really. It's just a numbness. And it, mm. just, it just feels so strange. It just keeps me awake or I wake up and then I can't get back to sleep again. Right. Yeah. And that's, and again, it's pretty common. I, I think, again, you're on the right track. You may have to push a little bit and say, you know, I'd really like to see the surgeon, the neurosurgeon and go ahead and get that treatment. But I think you're, you're certainly on the right track. I, and, and that, again, it's a common problem. It can be debilitating for a lot of people. Uh, pain, particularly that interrupts your sleep at night is something that's very, very intrusive to your life. And as much as you can, and I, it sounds like you probably already communicated this in an excellent way to your physicians, but keep communicating that to them to know how it's impacting your lifestyle so that they can uh, do something about it. So, Anna, good luck to you. I know that's uh, frustrating at times, but stick with that. And, um, you know, that's sort of the stepwise approach that we would normally normally have. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions about any kind of health care issue that you might have. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Want to appreciate everybody for calling in. We've got several people on the line patiently waiting. Let's go to Carolyn from Franklin County first. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for calling. I'm calling regarding uh, severe pain that started uh, in my back area. It appeared to have been in the back area. And when I went to the primary care doctor, they said it was the sciatic nerve. 
and they gave me a shot and some pills. But over my left kneecap in my thigh that runs around to the back, up to the upper part of my buttock, is still severe tenderness, and at night it aches severely. And I was reading a document from the foot podiatrist because I'm a diabetic and a cardi- cardiology uh, patient. And it suggested in the document that it could have something to do with a clogged artery. When I called the doctor's, uh, the, the cardiologist's office, the clerical staff called me back and said, oh, don't worry about it. It'll be all right. And I'm like, you're not at, I'm at night can't sleep because the pain becomes more severe, but during the day, I'm I'm able to walk around and manage the day. Yeah, that's uh, so, Carolyn. There, there's a couple of things in that that you told me that are important. No, number one, it's never a wrong thing to give more information or changing information to your doctor, so or, or their office staff. So if if anybody is giving you some, you know some uh, pushback on that, you may need to find another physician or somebody else to see you. So in this case, um, now the sciatic nerve, I didn't really go into this with our previous caller who uh, had a similar issue, but the sciatic nerve is one of the larger nerves that curves around the backside. It goes through the sciatic notch, which is uh, on the sacrum, uh, and it basically it, it controls a lot of the muscular functions on part of the leg and also the sensation there. So if you have anything that's going wrong with that as it goes through the sciatic nerve uh, notch, uh, if it's got any kind of inflammation, um, you can have a lot of problems like, like you're describing. Injection into the, in and around that site can help, particularly with a steroid, to help reduce some of the inflammation. It's really a temporizing thing. There's other things that you need to do. But if you're having, if you're having pain, it sounds like it, that radiation, in other words, the pain starts somewhere and then it goes somewhere else. We call that radiation. And if it goes to your left kneecap and thigh and sort of wraps around your leg, that does sound consistent with, um, with a sciatic nerve or some type of nerve issue that's higher up in your back that now it's, you're feeling the, some of the effects further down. Now, it is it is possible that you can have certain other things that aren't related to a muscular problem or a nerve problem. And you mentioned one uh, that's decreased blood flow to the lower extremities. So we call that claudication. Now, generally speaking, and it is at at higher risk in individuals who have high blood pressure, who have uh, diabetes or high cholesterol. Um, Now, basically it presents in in similar ways, but sometimes the most common way is if you walk or if you're doing more activity with your lower extremities, that's when people uh, complain about that. So they'll say it hurts usually in the back of your calf, uh, so it's lower down and not higher up. I'm not saying this is not claudication, and certainly they need to figure that out because you are at a little bit higher risk. Um, You can do that based on history and exam. If they feel like that there is a possibility that that's what it is, you would need a test called a Doppler, which looks at the arterial flow in your legs to make sure that you're getting enough blood flow to the extremities. Um, But it is common, and sometimes it can cause, you know, some problems, particularly at night, that can mimic other problems in the back. There's a lot of other muscles that can... can, uh, can sort of mimic this type of pain. So muscular issues, particularly piriformis syndrome, 
uh, is one of those. The piriformis muscles are deep muscles in the lower back and upper buttocks that can cause problems that mimic claudication and they mimic uh, sciatic nerve problems. So you need a good doctor who's going to examine you, listen to you, and decide if you need further tests. But I wouldn't blow that off either. I mean, you're at risk for claudication, so I would make sure that they are asking the right kind of questions to try to ascertain what it is. Uh, okay, my second, thank you for the input. I appreciate it. So my sure. second concern is can, can arteries be transplanted? This is for a family member whose heart and stent has gotten to the point to where he's been told that they can't do anything else for him. And I thought I heard at the University Medical Center that they have a transplant department, but what we didn't know is whether or not you can transplant healthy arteries from a donor, or a healthy donor, to uh, re-stabilize re, uh, his heart. Is that something possible? Yeah, Carolyn, that's not uh, necessary. So you don't do a transplant from somebody else. Now, we don't do a lot of this in the, you know, now because there, there's been such success with stenting and re-stenting arteries. But if they're at the point where they can't do that, the old-fashioned bypass, um, you know, or a cabbage, some people would call it, so a coronary artery bypass with a graft. So where you would use either a vein or an artery in the person's own, in their chest, to sort of swing it down to help perfuse that part of the heart that's not getting good, good blood supply. So that's the most common way to do it. We really don't do a transplant where you use somebody else's artery um, to do that. So if that is a, if they're a candidate for that, that might be another thing that they can do. There's also a lot of medications that can be used to help improve blood flow. They've used all of his that's available to them in his own body. That's why we were thinking transplant from other family members, maybe or donors that have healthy arteries because they've taken them out of his legs, out of his, uh, everywhere on his body and, and put them in his heart now and they can't put stents or do anything because the, the area is too weak with, with what's there. Yeah. I, so, so in that case, unfortunately, that's not going to be an option and, Transplanting arteries from somebody else in that situation, or really for much other things, I, that's not something that you typically do. So solid organ transplant, you transplant the whole or the organ, like a kidney or liver, with that, that artery and vein system intact, and then you'd hook it up to the patients. But in this case, unfortunately, that's not something that would be available. So maybe then they could just transplant another heart to him? Uh, if if he's a candidate, again, this, there's a complex screening uh, process that's involved in that. So that may be something that, you know, that y'all investigate. So just your your facility look into people that have those concerns? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So transplant, uh, so transplant surgery, particularly at University Medical Center, there are uh, experts in that. It depends on the organ system, but we have cardiologists that help coordinate that. So if he needs like a, a, you know, a second opinion or a cardiologist that can investigate if he's a, a candidate for transplant, he certainly could do that. 
Okay, uh, you don't give out numbers to where I could contact them for appointment, do you? I, yeah, I don't have that in front of me, but what you would need is a referral from his physician or cardiologist to the cardiologist that specializes in heart transplant. Okay. All right, then. I appreciate your time. Have a blessed day. Yes, ma'am. You too. Thank you for calling. We're going to go to Jackie in Vicksburg. Good morning, Jackie. Jackie, are you there? I am. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for calling. Yes. Uh, I have a question regarding um, low blood pressure, low pulse, and if there is a correlation between that and low body temperature. So there is sort of, uh, you know, that there's a lot of things that would, would cause your blood pressure and pulse to be low. Sometimes it's a problem with the, the way the nerves interact with the heart and with the arteries to generate a blood pressure. So you have to have some tone uh, in the arteries themselves and a heart that's pumping out blood to generate that. And you need that, um, you know, to get blood to all of your, your organs. Uh, a pulse rate along the same lines, if there's a problem within the heart itself or the conduction system of the heart, a lot of times that'll cause a problem. Low temperature it's a little bit different, and that can be controlled centrally in the brain, or it can be different things that are affecting the body peripherally. In other words, if there's problems, particularly with your thyroid, a lot of times that will cause low blood pressure, low pulse, and low body temperature. Um, so that would be the first thing I would do. It's a very common thing, an easy test to take. If you haven't had it already, I would ask your physician about checking your thyroid level. It's an easy test. Again, it's a blood test that can check those levels to see if it's low. Usually it has to be very, very low to cause, uh, you know, low blood pressure, low pulse rate, and low body temperature. But you can see that. All right. Well, my, it's, it's for my husband. He's 73. He does have high blood pressure. He's on blood pressure medication. And over the past uh, several months, he's had off and on blood pressure spikes and high and pulse spikes. So the cardiologist changed his blood pressure medications around. Now his blood pressure runs low and sometimes lower than it should be, I think. Uh, and he did not have this problem with low body temperature until his blood pressure started running kind of low. Uh, there have been times when it has been as low as 94.1, and, and you know he has to put on heat packs and warm himself back up. Uh, or he'll go to the emergency room to check him out and send him back home once he's back to normal. But uh, it, it sometimes hovers around 95, and I want to know, you know, I read things about it being below 95 and that being dangerous. Is that dangerous? Well, a person's blood yeah, pressure, usually, I mean, uh, pulse, right. I mean, his temperature drops like that. Right, yeah, so below about 95 is when you start to have some problems. I If it's that low and it's documented to be that low, I, I would, you know, to for them to look in other directions if they haven't already. So, you know, beyond thyroid, there's some other conditions too. You can have uh, you can have cortisone, cortisol levels that are low, uh, that your body's not producing enough of that. So there's other things that they probably need to look at um, and maybe even get somebody like an endocrinologist looking at him too. It may be a simple, you know, that certainly blood pressure medications should not affect the temperature directly. So they do affect um, the blood pressure and sometimes the pulse depending on uh, the agent. But um, 
Yeah, I would I would get them to look a little bit further because that's probably not those blood pressure agents. They may want to check some hormone levels to try to figure out what's going on. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions about your health care or somebody that's near and dear to you. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Let's go to Keith from Neshoba County. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Are you there, Keith? Good morning. Thanks for calling. Yes, I just I have a comment about the folks who call in with back pain. Um, I, I, 22 years ago, I had a uh, herniated disc, I, but, you know, I, I was an athlete, runner, lifter, and all that stuff, but blew out a disc, and fortunately, I found a surgeon, uh, he told me he, he could do the surgery, but it, I, I asked him what was plan B, and he said, well, let's watch it and wait. So I suggest folks try everything they can before they undertake surgery. Yeah, I'd agree totally with you, Keith. Because of those, you know, it's been studied very well, and good surgeons will recommend just that. Hey, let's let's try this. And when I say try it, I don't mean for like six weeks, but like sometimes months to years, because at that five-year mark for most people who do conservative treatment, which can be anything from physical therapy to, uh, you know, local injections at the point that's causing you the most problems, uh, to medications, all those things, if you wait that time out, the, the outcomes are exactly the same. So I would totally agree with you. Love my surgeon friends, and they would echo what I'm saying. You know, there is a place for surgery, for back surgery, and we've got a lot of different ways to do that that are minimally invasive and don't cause as many uh, long-term problems or complications, particularly for those patients who are at risk. But what we know about it is that those conservative things do work. So I appreciate your comment, and I'd echo that and agree with you totally that it's not always the best thing to, uh, to jump on the surgery bandwagon. And that's why most surgeons will say, you know, let's try these other things first before we get there. That's what they're trained to do, to do surgery, but just because of the data that we have on it, we want to make sure that we're doing those things first. So I do appreciate that uh, comment and testimonial. It's good to hear from somebody who's actually gone through it like that and 22 years later, you know, uh, doing well. 
All right, let's go to Ann from Saltilla. Good morning, Ann. Good morning. Thank I, you for calling. Um, I, I heard this conversation. I've been listening all along, but I've heard this conversation going back and forth with back pain. I am uh, 72, but a very athletic and busy and work physically very hard uh, on my farm. What has happened might be two different things, and I'm not sure which it might be, but I don't, and I'm not sure which way to go on it. All right, back pain. I've never had chronic back pain ever. I've been very strong. I can lift bales of hay. I can put it out. I can lift shavings. I can, you know, pick up 50-pound bags of um, of uh, feed, and have been doing that for 25 years. So I'm not the kind of person that sits in the house ever. My question is this. When I went in for an osteoporosis check, um, the nurse came back, and um, after describing the X-ray, she looked at me very mournfully, and she said, oh, but it showed that you have arthritis in your spine with no explanation or no, um, no suggestion as to what to do about it. Uh, this has been during the pandemic, so I haven't followed up on that. However, I have another complicating factor in that my, since my husband died, I have to lift all these things on a very regular basis. And um, about two weeks ago, I lifted like maybe five bales of hay and um, a lot of weight. I, I counted almost a ton of weight in a, <laughs> a day. And uh, I was not able to get out of the bed for about a week. And um mm-hmm. So, which is not really that surprising, I guess, for most people, but it is for me because I've been able to do that for years. Um, And I've noticed that um, now I really can't sleep much at night, and I can't – I'm doing things very gingerly. I'm doing them very slow and very easy, but I still have to do the same things. All right, Mm -hmm. long story short – what direction should I take to find out what I've done to myself, if anything? I am better. I'm much better, but I'm still very cautious. What would you do sure. in a situation like this? Yeah, so so just talking about arthritis, um, you know, the, the radiologic um, evidence of arthritis is there in most people um, as you get older. So if you get to be 40, 50, 60, Uh, And above, you could certainly see on an x-ray evidence of that. We get bone spurs in different places, and that's just from repetitive movements, particularly if you're doing work like you've been doing all your life. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to just quit doing what you're doing. A lot of people work right up into their 80s or 90s doing that, and if you look at an x-ray, you would think, oh, my goodness, they should, should have some pain. A lot of people don't. So if you're not having a lot of, you know, chronically, if you're not having a lot of problems, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Now, for acute pain, I think you're on the right track with what you're already doing. The first thing is to do rest, and usually that's two weeks or less, as much as you can. I understand you've probably got some things that can't wait that have to be done, and you're the person doing them. But if you can adjust a little bit, and by adjust, I mean adjust how you're doing it, certainly those activities particularly with back pain, if you're bending over, if you can squat down, use your legs, your core muscles more, and not pick up things further out, particularly at those weights, that's going to be a little bit better on your back. But trying to rest as much as possible. Old time, you know, things that that would be advocated, uh, heat can help. 
um, at the end of a day. Sometimes cold can help, but heat can help get you moving around. It's after that two-week mark, though, you don't want to just quit doing things and lay around because the outcomes are worse with that. But the, the red flags are really things like if you have numbness or tingling down your extremity, uh, in your leg, if you're not, if you have weakness in that leg, not because of necessarily the pain, but weakness uh, in your strength, then those are red flags that you need to get seen about a physician. You can start off with just a, a general practitioner with a family medicine or internal medicine doctor. They're, they may or may not do x-rays, again, because x-rays don't really tell us that much without some of those other things that are going on. If you're slowly getting better, I would try to do as much as you can to limit the way that you were picking up things so that you're limiting the strain or maybe get some help for a week or two where you can continue to move around and moving around, you know, maybe even going through those motions without carrying that much weight uh, or no weight at all might be helpful for you to get better through this period. Um, physical therapy, even if you've been active, can help because they can show you, even though you've been doing repetitive movements with large amounts of weight over the years, there are some other muscles that may not be activated that can help take the, the load, so to speak, off of some of those other muscles. So that's worth, worth doing, particularly if you're doing repetitive motions over the years. But it doesn't mean you have to hang everything up. Certainly, I, you know, it's unfortunate that the person said, oh, my goodness, you've got so much arthritis in your spine based on these x-rays. Everybody has that. You can have young individuals that have that and have absolutely no pain. So the pain is really the thing that the good Lord's given us for a reason to point us in the direction of doing something differently. But I think you can be conservative about what you're doing right now. If you're taking over-the-counter medication, certainly you could take something like Tylenol if you, as long as your physician hasn't said don't take it uh, for other reasons. Ibuprofen is okay in limited amounts, but probably Tylenol is better long-term while you're trying to get over this. Um, that's, that's, I think I agree with you. I think I am getting better. My question, I have another question too about what to take. I have read that or heard that some, uh, even Aleve, Aleve seems to help for a while and then I just, I don't take, but you know, the lowest dose of it. Uh, Advil seems to help, you know, and inflammatories seem to help. Is there a limit to what you can take on those? Because at night is the hardest time for me when I try to sleep, you know, with the achy, achiness. It's not, it's not terrible, but it's just enough to kind of keep you from getting into a deep sleep. Can you take yeah. a couple of Advil or a couple of Aleve and still on a regular, regular basis and not get in trouble? Yeah, I think if you could, if you just take it, particularly if you're just taking it at night, you could take as long as whatever it says on the bottle. And in your case, I probably wouldn't get much over 400 to 600 milligrams at night. Um, and if you're just taking it at night, I would probably do that for a couple of weeks every night just to see if that's going to give you that relief and that, you know, anti-inflammatory type uh, effects to try to get you through this period. But really, we're talking about after that four to six week mark is when you start to see sort of long term effects with that um, side effects that a lot of people can have, particularly as you get older, you can have those. But I think that's probably fine, particularly if you're just taking it at night. That's OK to take. Well, thank you so much. You've answered all of my all questions. Right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you for calling. We appreciate it. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Widget this morning. I'm going to go to Bill in Tennessee. Good morning, Bill. Thank you for calling. Good morning. I, um, before I get into my medical thing, I've got to ask you this. Ed, how many times in your life have you been asked, are you related to the famous Jimmy Stewart? Well, 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 well a couple of times, uh, Mr. Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah Bill, that's that's been one that I've gotten over the years. Sadly, not as many people are familiar with the actor Jimmy Stewart. I, as far as I know, I'm not uh, related to him in any kind of way, but it's a great guy yep. to be named after if I was. Well, I aged myself, but that's okay. I love old movies. <laughs> anyway, what's your question this morning? I got well, it's more about you know, and I, and I kind of want to get your opinion on this. I've been disabled now permanently with uh, back issues for a few years now. I blew out three discs, and uh, the complications that I've had have been sciatic. At least that's what they say. Uh, I don't get numbness in the leg, in my left leg. What I get is an involuntary, involuntary spasms. And... It's funny, my wife and I for years have called it uh, the snake in his leg because it happens <laughs> the most in my calf where you yeah. actually see the muscle just spasming. And it's involuntary. I'm not doing it. It just does it. And it's the weirdest feeling. It doesn't even hurt, but it's the weirdest darn thing. You know, I do suffer from pain, um, I, I think, because of the wear and tear and there is some weakness in the left leg and um so i i think that uh, part of my problem is that, that, that the hip is overused or, or i overcompensate and 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 so i have hip issues at times but i get through it and i i guess what i'm trying to say what i want to get to is that i'm a big proponent of physical therapy because one of the things that I was scared of when I first had these serious issues when they realized, because I had three in the bottom and two up, up near the neck that I blew out, and mm -hmm. they, that PT was the best way to go. And, and the reason for this, and I want to know if you're a proponent of this, if you believe in it, or if you think it's just hope, you know, just BS or whatever, the zipper effect. If, if you know, you, you repair discs and put them in line, pin them, and, and do whatever else, 
and then that stress cre- uh, creates the zipper effect where the discs above it start to pop out. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it, anytime you change the normal anatomy of the spinal column, you change the pressure that's applied above and below that area. So you're at risk not only for other, you know, that the disc part is the much more debated one that I've heard in orthopedic circles, but um, certainly it puts more pressure on those vertebral bodies if you fuse them together. And I've had a, yeah. one patient in particular, she's had multiple fractures because every time she has a fracture, she gets fused, they fuse more, and it puts right. that much more pressure above and below that. So that's common. Yeah. The pain thing is common. I, hey, I'm echoing about physical therapy. A multidisciplinary approach is the way to go, and particularly if you yeah. have chronic pain like that. And you need somebody who's going to think about it from multiple different standpoints and be able to give you that. The the spasms make sense because that's the part of the nerve fibers that are controlling the muscle activity. So it's yeah. it's um it's important, you know, to to try to do everything you can from different ways to sort of hit it. But uh but yeah, that's sort of what it. you Yeah, yeah. The, well the thank PT you, Bill. I do appreciate it. Thank you. And uh oh yeah, thank you for calling. I All believe right. we have one more caller. We're gonna try to squeeze you in. I think we got about two to three minutes there. Rachel from Starkville. Hey, um doctor, are there any treatments for a UTI other than an antibiotic? Yeah, so a urinary tract infection is a common thing in people. Uh, women tend to get them more than men because what we think is that the urethra is shorter, so there's a shorter distance from the outside where you have bacteria uh, that can travel back up the urethra into the bladder. Now, it can go higher than that. The danger with an untreated urinary tract infection is that it can track all the way up to the kidneys, and that's a much more serious infection we call pyelonephritis. Um, so a lot of people will ask, well, I don't want to take antibiotics. I don't want to, you know, run the risk of doing that or changing. I, they either they have bad uh, side effects with antibiotics or they have, uh, you know, different uh, uh, whatever the reason. Um, so you can early on try to prevent them with changing the acidity of the urine. Uh, certainly, cranberry juice has been used. Other things have been used to sort of treat the symptoms like peridium. Um, but uh, and, and there is some evidence that they help to. Um, to decrease the risk of it. Once you get that infection, though, uh, for most people, now it, you'll you'll clear it out, but you do run the risk of that not clearing out if you don't take an appropriate antibiotic. Um, if you do take an antibiotic, I'm a big proponent of doing a culture. In other words, you take some of the urine and and look and see what bacteria is growing out so you can be as specific as possible with an antibiotic a lot of people will uh-huh. do what we call an empiric therapy which is okay but um as close as narrow as you can get then you're going to run less of a risk with having multiple drug resistances to different bacteria but to help if you have frequent ones i would you know cranberry juice is fine uh, you know, as long as you're not, uh, you know, at risk for increased sugar, like with uh, diabetes, well, that kind of I thing. Well, I am, and I do take metformin. Should I change my uh, diabetic medicine? Metformin, metformin is not can... one that's going to, yeah, and having diabetes, period, is a risk factor for urinary tract infections. Metformin is not one that can increase your risk of UTIs. 
close now if you're uncontrolled with your blood sugars certainly that would be the first thing to do is to try to get them controlled and metformin is a wonderful medication along with others and physical activity and what you eat to try to get that blood sugar down but right. in and of itself metformin is not going to cause okay. uh, a urinary tract infection i'm dr jimmy stewart thanks for listening to the original southern remedy podcast you can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge anderson president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform. <laughs>